We are, of course, celebrating Advent all December. And Advent is all about making room for Jesus. Remember that the Christmas story started with this fact that there was no room for Jesus at the end. And we realize that as the Christmas story continues to unfold through history and our lives are a part of it, that we need to be purposeful about making room for Jesus during the Christmas season. So that's what we are endeavoring to do in Advent. And we're doing that by taking these four weeks to talk about these four themes, hope, love, joy, and peace. And of course, we're lighting the Advent candles that represent those, the large white candle representing Jesus that we'll light on Christmas Eve. And we remember that Christianity has two great Advents. The first Advent, the coming of Christ as a babe, the incarnation to die on the cross in our places, and then the coming of Christ as a king to establish his kingdom and set right everything that has gone wrong. And Advent is about both of those. Waiting for, celebrating, rejoicing in, and enjoying both advents of Jesus. So I'm going to have the Smith family come up, and young Asher will be reading scripture for us. So come on up, Smith family, give him some love. Hi. This is Dad Aaron, and this is Mama Sarah, and this is little... Lucia and Holiday right here, twin angels. Can you say hi, Holiday? Hi, she said hi. And this is Asher, awesome young man that he is and ripping surfer. And uh, he's going to read the scripture for us. So go ahead, buddy. First, first Peter 1, 6 through 9. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. So when your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much Praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him, now you trust him and rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Amen. the hope candle, the love candle, and then the new one for today, the candle representing joy. Thank you, God, for hope, love, and joy. Amen. Thanks, guys. (laughs) You want to stay up? Look at those little angels. Okay, let's open up our Bibles to that passage that Asher just read for us from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to use 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 16 to talk about Advent today. And we'll get to the text in a little bit. Just have it open. 
Lord, we thank you for what that scripture said, your word, that we have because of Christ, this glorious and expressible joy. That joy has come to the world in the person and the work of Christ. And joy is coming to the world in the risen Christ to rule and reign. Thank you for these glorious truths. And Lord, as we often pray at this church, we don't want these things to be lost on us. We want you, Holy Spirit, to wonderfully enliven our hearts and our minds and our very spirits to these truths. We want these truths to breathe fresh life into us and set us on fire for Christ, who you are and what you've done. We know that there's a lot of challenges to joy in our lives. But thank you, Jesus, that you told us that there would be difficult days, but that we could take heart because you have overcome the world. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you are coming again and you bring us great joy. Speak to us of these things and give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I... uh, I took my son yesterday, was it yesterday? No, on Friday to see The Hobbit. Has anybody seen The Hobbit yet? How many of you have seen it so far? Only a few of you? How many of you are planning on seeing it? Why would the rest of you not see The Hobbit? (laughs) The desolation of Smaug, come on. Uh, I was so excited to see it, as was my son, because when the first part came out last year, we were in the hospital with Daisy and we were living in the hospital all through December and Christmas of last year when that came out. And so uh, we couldn't go see it. And uh, my son didn't go. And I think Daisy would have been too young to see it, but she was so interested in it that I read to her The Hobbit when we were in the hospital all during December. And uh, my mother-in-law had given me a, a beautiful illustrated copy of it. And we read through that. It was the last book that I ever read to Daisy. She, of course, went to be with Jesus just a couple months later. But I remember wanting so badly to go see the movie, The Hobbit, because we were reading the book, and the book was so good. If you've never read The Hobbit, it's pretty darn awesome. And you know, there's all these songs in it, and Daisy made me sing all the songs (laughs) and do the voices, so I'm sure you guys would have loved to have seen that, but I was singing the songs and doing the voices, and it was just great, an incredible book. And so my son and I were like, next year when part two comes out, we are going. So we waited a whole year to go see The Hobbit, literally a whole year. And we went to the first possible show we could go to on the day it came out, a matinee, went to the nicest theater we could find down in Oxnard, if there is such a thing. And we went (laughs) and we saw it. And we were like the first of our friends and family to see it. And so everybody was asking us, how was it? How was it? And I think about it, you know, my honest response was, my honest response was this. I don't think that any film could live up to a full year's expectation. (laughs) It was good, but I mean, we'd been waiting for a year, like talking about it all the time. It's coming in December. And I just, I think we blew it for ourselves (laughs) because there's no movie that can stand up to a whole year of waiting. Now, Advent is about waiting. And the coming of Jesus Christ is going to far outweigh the tedious endeavor of waiting through this lifetime for him to come. There is a glorious, inexpensive, 
inexpressible appearing of Christ that has happened. When the angels said, behold, we bring you good news of a great joy. And there is a glorious appearing of Christ that will happen when the heavens are opened and the king of glory comes to restore all things and set right once and for all everything that has gone wrong. This is Advent. And we find ourselves in this time of waiting. And the, the, the reason that we're able to wait well during Advent is because we've read the end of the book, haven't we? Have you read the end of the book? If you haven't read the end of the book, you need to read the end of the book. It turns out well. Jesus comes again, guess what? He wins. Everything is set right. It turns out well. And the fact that we know the end of the story because God has given us his word and we believe his word, The fact that we know the end of the story helps us to persevere through the difficulty of these days. Even in the worst moments of life, we have the hope of joy and we have the joy of hope. And Christmas really is about joy. In fact, joy is a Christmas thing. That's when we sing joy to the world, right? We don't sing it at any other time of the year. It doesn't seem appropriate at any other time, right? If you find someone singing joy to the world in July, you're like, wow, (laughs) you've been drinking. (laughs) But in December, it's like, yes, everybody sing it together. Joy to the world. And we get it from the angels who that night in Bethlehem came to the shepherds out in the field and appeared to them. Christ was born and said, behold, I bring you good news of a great joy. You see, joy is a Christmas thing. But joy to us during the Christmas season can be surprisingly elusive, can't it? The busyness can sort of be a barrier to our joy. This is why we're talking about Advent. This is why we're being purposeful to make room for Jesus because we can just get busy in the season with all that's going on with kids' plays and finals in school and buying presents and preparations and travels and family coming in. We can just get so caught up in the busyness that there's no room for Jesus and we just miss the joy of it all. But joy can also be elusive during Christmas time because pains seem to be amplified during this season. People that are lonely feel lonelier at Christmas. People who are estranged Feel the weight of that more heavenly. Relationships that have been broken seem to come into our minds again during Christmas time. People who have left, we long for them at Christmas time more than ever. Joy can be elusive for those of us that have pain in our lives during this time. So it helps us to remember that joy is not just a Christmas thing. Joy is a Christian thing. Romans 14, 7. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Christian life, the substance of it, the very manifestation of it, the kingdom of God. It's not about just the mere physical plane, eating, drinking, but it's about joy in the Holy Spirit. This joy thing is a Christian thing. And Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is is our strength. 
Joy is a Christmas thing. Joy is a Christian thing. And joy is a God thing. Joy is what God wants for his people and what God has in store for the world. Again, the angel said, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will be for all the people. God has joy in store for the world. Psalm 30, verse 11, the psalmist said to God, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. Joy is what God wants to bring into our lives. Jesus, in talking about the salvation that he's bringing, is said in John 15, 11, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow so that you will be filled with my joy. This is part of the promise for the Christian. Imagine the joy that Jesus has because he really knows the end of the story. He has truly seen death and devil and the devil defeated. Christ is risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, knowing that he's returning to rule and reign over the nations because he so well knows the end and he's experienced the resurrection and he's accomplished the work of the cross. Jesus has tremendous joy. And he says, my joy will be your joy when we put our faith in Christ. Therefore, our joy will overflow. And then the Father sends the Holy Spirit in the world to try to work joy into our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But the Holy Spirit is always working to bring joy into the life of the believer. Then when we think about the fact that Christ has reconciled us to God and that we are now with God and Christ himself is Emmanuel, God with us and that we will ultimately be with God, that the ultimate fulfillment, the second advent is God with his people. We are reminded what the psalmist said in Psalm 1611, in your presence is the fullness of joy. So as we are pursuing God himself, we're pursuing joy. And when we look forward to the future, being with God ultimately, we realize that that's a thing of great joy. And when we think about those that we've lost this year, there's a lot of people in the sanctuary, including myself, who have had loved ones die this year. That brings us great pain at Christmas. But think about the joy they're experiencing. Listen to Jude 24, 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Man, I miss my daughter Daisy at Christmas. But it helps me to remember that she is standing in the presence of the glory of God with great joy and blameless because of her faith in Jesus. Doesn't that help us this Christmas time? to know that joy is what God wants to bring into our lives through Christ. Because our God is a God of joy. First Chronicles 16, 27 say about God, honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. And his presence is the fullness of joy. So joy, as elusive as it is from time to time, is a Christmas thing. It's a Christian thing. It's a God thing. It's what he wants to bring into our lives. It's what his presence is all about. And his work is a work of joy for himself and the whole world. The author of Hebrews told us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that Jesus went to the cross for the joy set 
before him. That we might be reconciled, sinful people, that we might be reconciled to a holy God through his work on the cross and that he would be resurrected in glory and that we too one day would be resurrected in glory and that he would come one day in glory to set right everything that has gone wrong because of the finished work of the cross. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him, the Bible says. You see, his work is a work of joy. It's God's joy to save people. Jesus said in Luke 15, 10, that there is joy in heaven when one sinner repents. Psalm 67, 4 says, let the whole world sing for joy because you, God, govern the nations with justice and guide the peoples of the whole world. Joy is a Christmas thing. Joy is a Christian thing. Joy is what God is wanting to bring into our lives. Joy is the fruit of the work of God. And it is all brought to us in the person of Christ. That is why, again, the angels said on that wonderful night, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of a great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Messiah. All of this joy is made possible and brought to us in the coming of Christ. And joy becomes the right response of those to whom Christ has come. Remember the scripture that we looked at the first week from Isaiah chapter 9 where it said, Behold, those who sit in the land of deep darkness will see a great light. Those who sit in the valley of shadow of death, a light will dawn upon them. That was us. And the light has come to us and the light is Christ who brings us joy by reconciling us to God. And you say, yes, yes, preacher, you're very excited and this is very exciting. But what about Real life. What about life right now? Joy is elusive. As I said before, you know, I've got friends right now that are looking at losing their home and their business and their property. I've got friends right now who are putting their parents in care facilities because they can't care for themselves anymore. I've got friends who were just recently di- diagnosed with cancer. Friends who've recently lost their spouses and their fathers. Friends whose kids are in the intensive care unit of the hospital. And I'll be honest, as a dad who lost his daughter just nine months ago, I hear these things. I understand that joy is a Christmas thing and a Christian thing and a God thing. And, Christ's work involves joy. Joy is brought to us in Christ, but I don't always get joy. What is joy? Is joy merely a feeling? Joy is a feeling, but it's more than that, isn't it? Joy is sometimes used as a synonym for happiness, but it's more than happiness isn't it? You see, happiness generally has to do because things have gone our way. Because something has gone our way or we got what we wanted, we're happy about that. And happiness is generally subject to circumstances. But we want to think of joy as something deeper, don't we? We, We're not satisfied with mere happiness. There's this other thing, this joy thing, this joy thing that's beyond mere circumstances. 
This joy thing isn't like happiness. It's not just dependent upon when things go our way and we get what we want. Joy involves something deeper. It has to do with things going God's way. It is a feeling, but it's something that transcends circumstances. It's something that has to do with things going God's way and God getting what he wants in our world and in our lives. Joy is a feeling, that that is true, but it's more than that. Joy is also a command. Do you know that scripture commands us to rejoice? It's strange because you can't really command a feeling, but joy is more than just a feeling. We are commanded to rejoice. Psalm 100 verse 2, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. It's a command. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's a command. It's an imperative. The Christian is told you should rejoice because of who Christ is and what he's done. You should rejoice. And again, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always. Man, what a challenge is that? You see how it's got to be more than feelings because we can't possibly always feel joyful. It's got to be more than just a feeling. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Here's where the dots begin to connect. Yes, joy is a feeling, but it's more than feeling. It's actually something that's commanded of us, but here's the good news. Joy is a gift. Joy is a gift. Isaiah 29, 19. The humble will be filled with fresh joy from the Lord. How good does that sound? Fresh joy from the Lord. Romans 15, 13. Paul, understanding that joy is a gift and a work of the Spirit in our lives, prays this for the church in Rome. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's, there's this hope that joy is independent merely upon circumstances. It's, it's deeper, it's greater, it's got more to do with God than just getting our own way. And there's this picture in Scripture that it's something that's actually, we're called upon to have joy, to rejoice. And there's this promise that it's a gift of God for those who put their faith in Christ. You say, gosh, Britt, the sermon, it's so wonderful, but I still don't know. That was supposed to be funny. (laughs) I still don't know how do I experience this joy because it is still elusive. And that's where the text, the Asher reads and the surrounding verses help us. First thing I'll say is this. That was not just an intro. Don't worry, I'm more than halfway done with the sermon. (laughs) A little less than halfway. (laughs) Having joy involves a promise. Look in verse 3 of 1 Peter 1. Having joy involves a promise. It says, all praise to God. I'm reading from the NLT. It really reads well in 1 Peter. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, 
an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Joy involves a promise. And do you see the promise of both advents there? The first advent makes it possible that we're born again by his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And then the second advent, the second coming of Christ, involves this idea of an inheritance. Now, what is the inheritance of the believer? First of all, we realize from Scripture that Christ is the heir of all things. Christ is the heir of all things from God the Father. But we who have put our faith in Christ are united to him so that we become co-heirs with Christ, the book of Romans and elsewhere says. So what is this inheritance that is coming our way? It is the fullness of salvation. It is when the work of Christ on the cross is brought to its consummation. We understand that our salvation unfolds in three tenses, three tenses, past, present, and future. We have been saved. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. Christ took our place, took the condemnation and the wrath of God in our place. So we are now declared innocent, justified before God. Can I get an amen? We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are daily being saved from the power of sin. Can I get an amen? He has given us the person of the Holy Spirit and his word, which he has endued with power. And he has put limits on the work of the enemy in this age. So we are daily being saved from the power and the effects of sin. Past, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Present, we are daily being saved from the power of sin. But there is yet a future when we will be saved from the presence of sin. This is what we are waiting for, the second advent, when Christ comes again. And that old devil, the serpent, the snake is thrown into the lake of fire and there he will be tormented day and night forever, the book of Revelation says. And there will be no more sin, no more dying, no more pain. All these things have passed away. Behold, I have made all things new, says the Lord. That is the second advent that we're looking forward to. There will be no more sin. There will be no more death. There will be no more devil. Can you imagine that day? You see, that is the promise of Advent. Go ahead. If you're going to go ahead. That is our inheritance. As your homework assignment, read Isaiah 35 later on. that talks about the joy of that. Use figurative language because he was talking to Israel and they are a part of that, but we are also a part of that. Isaiah 35 speaks of our inheritance, as is Jeremiah 31. Read those later. But notice what our text says. It's ready to be revealed on the last day and that it's pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. This is something finally that will be untouched by the effects of sin. Everything in our lives right now are touched by the effects of sin. Everything is subject to the effects of the fall and the curse. Even our best relationships, are they not? Even the most healthy person, even the best situation, even the greatest gift, they are all touched by the effects of sin. There's nothing perfect in this world. And everything is subject to entropy. 
Everything is heading toward chaos and it's breaking down and my car is beginning to rust and every time I turn around, my stuff is covered with dust and it begins to decay and break and we'll get all these wonderful things for Christmas and most of them will be broken before next Christmas. None of these things will last. But there is an inheritance reserved for us in heaven that is beyond the reach of corruption and decay. And it is protected by the power of God. It's not subject to the economy. It's not subject to the government. It's not subject to global warming. It is protected by the power of God for us. Therefore, our text says in verse 3, we live with great expectation. Joy involves a promise. The scriptures say to us, I know we're not there yet, but Christ is coming again, and we will be with him in glory. Therefore, we live with great expectation. For the Christian, it's always Christmas Eve. You understand that? It is always Christmas Eve in some way because Christ could come at any time for us. This is grounded in the resurrection. He said, because he raised Christ from the dead. Now we know Christ was risen from the dead. And as sure as he rose from the dead, he's coming again. When he ascended unto heaven, the angels appeared to the boys who were just staring, going, where'd he go? Saying, why are you looking into heaven? In the same way that he went, he will come again. And Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place for you. And did he go? He said, if I go, I will come again, that where I am, there you may be also. And in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He's coming for us. As sure as he's risen from the dead, he's coming again to set all things right. You say, oh, but give me something a little more. God said, okay, I will give you the Holy Spirit to live in you, who is the guarantee, the down payment, the promise of this inheritance. As sure as God's Spirit is in you, crying out, Abba, Father, you have an inheritance in heaven. Ephesians 1 says that the Holy Spirit is a down payment of our inheritance that we receive as co-heirs with Christ because we put our faith in his finished work on the cross and we are his and he is ours. Now verse six then says, so be truly glad. This is what little Asher read. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. So the first point was having joy involves a promise. Second point is having joy involves some pain. It's just a part of it. Verse seven, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day, second advent on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. I told you that I went and saw The Hobbit and uh, I wanted to talk about how it ends, but so many of you have not yet seen it. I don't want to ruin it for you. Let me tell you how it ends. Okay, I won't. But I will tell you this. It is a stinking cliffhanger. 
Like when it ends and the screen went black, literally everyone in the theater went, oh, like out loud. People were like, what? How could it end right here? My son, he's just 13. He was like, no way. Oh my gosh. No way. Dad, what? No. What? Mom, what? It's a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger. Because I read the book, I know that that's not the real ending. I know because I read the book that that story ends well. Brothers and sisters, read the book. There are cliffhangers in this lifetime. Children will become ill. Parents will grow old. Fortunes will be lost. These are the cliffhangers of of this life. But read the end of the book. It ends well. Jesus himself said, so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. Paul the Apostle said, the trials that we experience in this lifetime aren't even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us on that day. And so in this life, there's trials and God in his grace allows these trials to become times of testing. And the testing for the Christian is not that we might fail, rather it's that we might grow. God never allows us to be tested to watch us fail. It allows us to be tested that we might grow so that our trust in him becomes more and more and more strong. And our trust in him is more precious than gold. And it yields more and more joy as our faith is tested. Psalm 34, 5, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Psalm 84, 5, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. You know what these trials in this lifetime are? They're an opportunity for joy because they're an opportunity to trust in the Lord. They're an opportunity to let the Lord be the source and the center of your joy, to let the Lord sustain you. The joy of the Lord is your strength, to let the Lord be all your hope. Children will die, parents will die, fortunes will be lost. But Christ is forever. And he rules and he reigns. And he's more precious than any of these things. Trials are not an opportunity for you to lose your faith. They're an opportunity for greater faith and greater joy. I'll just testify and say, my family and I have been to hell and back this year. We lost our baby girl. And I believe in the goodness and the glory of God more now than I ever have in my life. 
And though my heart is broken in a million pieces, there is somewhere in there the great promise of joy. Joy involves promise. But joy also involves some pain. Therefore, joy involves trust and faith. Verse 8, you love him even though you have never seen him. No, you do not see him now. You trust him. And because of this, you rejoice with a glorious and expressible joy. And the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Christ is trustworthy. He went to the cross in your place. In the cross, God was giving you himself and his son. And the author of Romans said, he who has freely given us his son, how will he not also give us all things? How could God say, I love you any more than to give his son to die on the cross in our place? God has demonstrated his love for us. And then while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave us himself in the person of Christ. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if ever we doubt, we remember, well, Christ has truly risen from the dead. I went to Israel. I've been there 10 times. The tomb is always empty every time I go. (laughs) Christ is risen. Therefore, Christ is coming again. This involves trust and faith. And my second to last point Having joy involves continual pronouncement. Verse 10. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. Like Isaiah, writing 700 years before Christ came, right? We talked about that two weeks ago. Verse 11. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering. First advent. And his great glory afterward. Second advent. Verse 12. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you, for us. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. That's why... At the first advent, it was angels who first sang of the good news of great joy for all the people. For in the city of David, there has been born for us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For thousands of years, the prophets have spoken of it. And now this good news has been pronounced to us by the prophets, by the angels, by the Holy Spirit of God who has been put in you to testify that you are sons and daughters of God, this good news is pronounced. It's pronounced in the church as we teach and preach. It's pronounced in the word as you read it continually. And it is pronounced to you by you. What do you mean? I mean, you need to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to yourself continually. This is what we do. When we're weighed down with guilt and shame, what do we do? We preach the good news of Jesus Christ who died in our place and rose from the dead that we might be made brand new to ourselves. 
When the weight of this world seems that it's going to overcome us, what do we do? We preach the good news to ourselves that Christ has died, but Christ is coming again to make all things brand new and set right everything that has gone wrong. We preach it to ourselves. When my heart feels as though it's going to fall out of my chest in a million pieces because I miss my baby girl, what do I do? I preach to myself this good news by which she is standing in his glorious presence with inexpressible joy. Even the angels are watching these things and rejoicing. The psalmist wrote and said, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. That's the work of the first advent. And then Paul wrote of the joy of the second advent in Romans 5, 2, when he says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, a standing of grace. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory when the tabernacle of God is among men and he shall be our God and we shall be his people and he wipes away every tear. And let me tell you where this ends. Having joy involves a promise. It involves some pain. It involves trust and faith. It involves continual pronouncement from the prophets to you preaching to yourself. And having joy involves obedience. Verse 13. So, in light of all these things, so, Peter says, so, in response to this, because of this promise, because of the pain of this life, because Christ is risen, because he's coming again, because it's so glorious, even the angels are looking at it, so, think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Second advent, second coming. So, might have his coming again. So, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. You see, oftentimes we don't experience this promised joy and the gift of this joy because we just aren't willing to obey Christ. Brothers and sisters, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ always forms good behavior in our lives. The good news does not excuse us from honoring Christ in the way that we live. It enables us to honor Christ in the way that we live. Sometimes we miss joy because we're missing verses 13 through 16. Sometimes joy is elusive to us because we are settling for mere happiness. Happiness has to do with things going our way and when we get what we want. Christian, you're called to much more than mere happiness. 
You're called to a glorious, inexpressible joy, which does not have to do with us getting our way and getting what we want. It has to do with us going God's way and doing what he wants. You understand that? Psalm 119, joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. Psalm 19, the commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Psalm 32, 11, so rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. You see, we, we just, we've settled for happiness. We think, if I just get to do what I want, then I'm going to be happy. And joy eludes us. Joy is found in obeying the Lord. That's what the scriptures say. There's, there's just, it's a wonderful gift. And we have been enabled by the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to do that very thing. We've been excused from obedience. We've been enabled to be obedient. And this is what it means to live in expectation of Advent. The forgiveness has been brought to us in the first coming of Christ and restoration and renewal is coming to us in his second coming. So we are enabled and called to live in a better way with a great expectation by the power of the Holy Spirit, even though we have many trials, many disappointments, many temptations, much pain. We live in obedient expectation. How's this for a Christmas verse? Psalm 119, 143. As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commandments. Lord, thank you for your word, which has shown us the way. Christ, thank you for your work, which has made a way. Thank you, Father, that we are the beloved sons and daughters of God. Nothing we do or fail to do will ever change that. We thank you that you've called us to live with great expectation and obedience. Help us with these things. Lord, that you would satisfy us this morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. And we also pray, Lord, that we will be strengthened with your glorious power so that we will have all the endurance and patience we need. We ask that we would be filled with joy in and by the Holy Spirit.